1 Kings chapter 16, then once you've found your place there, mark it and turn to Joshua chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 16, and then Joshua chapter 6. I don't feel intimidated with all these tall dudes behind me. I feel safe. Garrett makes me nervous, but otherwise, no. All right, they, uh, they sang a song about how Jesus delivers us from condemnation during the, during the missions conference, and they're going to sing that again in just a moment. I'm looking forward to that. Joshua chapter 6, look at verse, look at verse number 17, and uh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of review um, when we get to it, so I'm not going to read everything that's maybe you have questions about, but Joshua 6 verse 17, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that were with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent, and here's one reminder, Rahab hid the spies because she believed in God. It, it wasn't a works-based thing. Her faith This was a prostitute who found favor with God because she believed. And that faith affected the way that she lived her life. In verse 18, and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so they go up, they destroy all that's in the city with the exception of Rahab and her family that was with her in that specific location. And then all the, the vessels were to be saved. All the precious metals were to be saved for the, the use of the Lord in the, in the tabernacle. Go down to verse number 26. I actually start in verse 25 just because I like the reminder. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And you can find in the book of, in the, in the book of Matthew, I believe, where Rahab is actually a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. I love it. It's wonderful. Well, God in the Old Testament is not a gracious God. He's a gracious God from beginning to end and eternity. He's a gracious God. But notice verse 26, and Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. And then it's, this is a prophecy that you'll see that was fulfilled in 1 Kings chapter 26. Joshua begins to speak about someone he does not know but inspired by God. He knows this will come to pass. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. The title is this. There is no statute of limitations with God. There is no statute of limitations with God. You may be seated. Thanks so much for remaining 
standing to honor God's word as we read it. At this time, we'll enjoy the special, and then we'll get to the sermon. Blessing, guys. Great job. I love, I love that idea. That truth is wonderful. 
Judgment called and mercy answered, and uh, I am so very thankful that we have full pardon through the name of Jesus Christ. That is it's a blessing, and I love it that those guys know how to sing. Now, look, I don't credit Brother Michael with that. That's all Miss Nicole right there, so good job, Miss Nicole, and Brother Michael is actually okay with that. Man, guys can sing too, and it's good. I'm thankful we got all kinds of ladies and all kinds of men that God has blessed with musical ability, and so thank you for ministering to us in that way. And by the way, it's good to have this reminder. During the offering time, the reason that we give and then we are just listening, because that song is an offering to the Lord as well. And I trust every one of our musicians when they play, I've said this to them, that 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 time, I... The goal is to just play as unto the Lord, and then we can just participate it so in it. So I'm just on the coattails of Miss Nicole's skill this morning, and I'm like, Lord, in my heart, I'm playing that well for you right now. <laughs> Y'all didn't get that. You're not all that talented, so just jump on the bandwagon with her. Lord, if I could play to you, sound something like that. That's what's in my heart. Now, if my hands actually start doing it, it won't sound like that. But so just as a reminder, that is what's going on. So in our text, the statute of, a statute of limitation is a simple legal definition is this. It's the maximum time after an, after an event within which legal proceedings may be initiated. So there are certain crimes that a prosecution or an effort to deal with them, they must be dealt with within a certain amount of time or you can no longer bring charges or you can no longer initiate a legal proceeding in the case, or the, the case will be thrown out because it's not within what the law defines as a statute of limitations. Now, there are certain crimes that I'm thankful there, is, there are no statute of limitations with them. Like terrorism, right? However long it takes to catch you, then it should be dealt with. Murder, there, and there are other things. I'm not going through the list. That's not the point. But there, there are certain things that there is a statute of limitations. You say, someone trespassed on my property, and I forgot about it for five years. But now I want to prosecute them. No, if it wasn't important enough for you to remember over the last five years, you probably should just move on with your, move on with your life. You say wrongful termination. You know, I'm thankful for laws that, that can help to protect both the rights of the employer, the employees. I'm, I'm thankful for those things, and we should have balance in that. You say, I was wrongfully terminated 20 years ago. I mean, I've, I've got my RRA, and I've got my stocks, and I've got my retirement, but I, 20 years ago, that really affected me, and I need to sue that guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, I wish my parents had believed in a statute of limitations. How many of you kids, uh, the, I'm not asking, you're still a child, even if you're in your 30s or 40s or whatever. How many of you are still afraid to tell your parents everything that you did? <laughs> Maybe a lot of reasons for that. I'm not getting into that. I used, to, I used to have this idea as a child. Hey, if my parents don't remember, then I won't get in trouble unless they remember right then. <laughs> like just begging, please, God, please help them forget. 
right? <laughs> and then they remember, and it's like, Dad, that was, that was like last week, and I'm sure you've done a lot more since then, so we just need to take care of this right now. You know, I understand in a legal system, and we would understand the necessity of it, just for a variety of reasons that we won't get into it. We, we would understand why with certain things there would be a statute of limitation on to where you just, this just can't be open indefinitely. If it's important enough to be dealt with, it needs to be dealt with now. But then there are these other areas that are so severe, and they're so important, and they are such a violation of human dignity and human right. For example, the taking of someone's life. That, that is, that, to commit murder, and I'm not talking about every act of military, I'm not talking about our judicial system carrying out penalties, I'm talking about a man raising his hand against his neighbor or against her neighbor, and, and the senseless, pointless violence that is a scourge to this nation. Look, I get it that that issue can become such a political hot topic, like everything can be political today, but we should all be bothered by any amount of murder that happens. And, and just the tragedy that took place in Boise this, this past week. I mean, you can get into all sorts of details. That should bother you every time it happens. And I understand how those things, how that particular case went and the outcome of that. But in, in those cases where the perpetrator su survives, there should be no statute of limitations on that because of the heinousness of the, of the crime. Well, when God warns against certain things, there is no statute of limitations on it in this way. What he says to one generation applies to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. Jericho, you understand, was completely destroyed. And we dealt, with, we spent an entire sermon dealing with that because of how difficult that idea can be. But I just want to remind you that Jericho was not destroyed because they were in Israel's way. They were destroyed because they defiled themselves and disregarded God's laws. And in their worship of false idols, in their affinity for paganism, in their rejection of, the, of God and the idea that there is one true God and rejecting him for these idols they could make with hands and then worship those, those things however they wanted to, their behavior, specifically their treatment of the most vulnerable in their society, deteriorated to the point where it's chronicled both in biblical and secular history how these nations at this time were active in human sacrifice, specifically sacrificing the lives of their own children. They would take, like Brother Feovi talked about, their 17 or 18 months old. They would take their five-year-old. Sometimes they would take their teenagers, but they would literally kill them in sacrifice to some kind of false pagan ideity. Please get this. God never sanctioned that. There's only one human sacrifice that God ever put his approval on, and that's when Jesus willingly offered himself as both man and God to pay for the sins of the entire world. And so the, the city of Jericho had deteriorated to the point that their violence towards their own young and their own people and their 
perversion in the way that they mistreated people. It had to be dealt with in force. And so God ordered the city to be destroyed. In that, we're not going back and dealing with all that. I've, I've told you before, subjects like that, if you have questions, come and talk to me. But God gave command for how the children of Israel were to handle all of this. Number one, all the precious metals were to be consecrated to the Lord's service. In verse number 19, we read about that. He details that. Eventually, through the conflicts that you'll engage in, as was the custom in that day, you'll reap the spoils of war. You'll benefit from harvesting the crops in this land. But this first belongs to God. And that's a good reminder that when God blesses us, we ought to have a heart to be able to give him and respond to him first. But he warns them, Joshua warns them in verse number 18, in verse number 19, there will be things there that appeal to you. This will become relevant in chapter 7. There will be things there like silver and gold. There will be stacks of money and there will be really nice clothes and there will be some furniture and there will be some vessels that you would love to have for yourself thinking they can make you wealthy or make you happy. You need to stay away from those things because of the way that this city is and because I've separated it unto myself you're not supposed to take those for yourself. Guard yourself against having more of a desire to have the things of Jericho than the God who gave you victory over Jericho. And so with the exception of Rahab and her family and her house, everything was either consecrated to the Lord or it was destroyed. Then in verse number 26, Joshua adjured. It's a strong warning I understand that we don't talk this way anytime. We don't talk this way today. We don't speak this way today. But if you were to make a statement like this, I adjure thee. I'm, I'm really serious right now. I need you to take this seriously. That's what he was saying. You've had that kind of conversation with your kids. You know, some conversations, or with your spouse, or with your friend. Sometimes they're just casual and they're fun and you can just laugh, but there are other times where the intensity is real. And you say, listen, I need you to take this conversation seriously. You wouldn't use the word, but this is what you're doing. You're adjuring them. You're trying to compel and motivate them to understand the severity and the significance of what you are about to communicate. And so Joshua, inspired by God, this wasn't Joshua's warning, this was God's warning, he issues the warning of a curse on anyone who rebuilds the city. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He wasn't talking about building something on that location, but trying to rebuild the city as it once was, trying to restore Jericho to its former glory. Remember, Jericho was destroyed under the judgment of God, and so it needed to serve as a reminder of what happens to a people when they reject God, and because they reject God, their treatment of each other deteriorates to the point that they sacrifice their own children in the worship of idols. And so that rubble, those broken down walls and that broken down gate were to serve as a generational reminder that if you don't take God seriously and you don't allow his love for you and faith in him to affect the way you treat others and your behavior deteriorates to this despicable, of this, this terrible of a level, then there is a judgment that you are going to incur on yourself. And so you walk by those walls, 
We need to be careful. You walk by those walls, you know, I'm not really taking God as serious as I need to. You walk by those walls, you know, my attitude towards people isn't what it needs to be. I need to take God seriously. So the ruins of Jericho were to serve as a reminder of that. Those reminders are good for us. They are. Let me just, in a couple of weeks, we're going to honor veterans. Veterans Day comes up in in something like a week and a half. We're going to recognize it two Sundays from today. Some great things planned. I'm excited about it. It's going to be good. I'm thankful for the people who enlist for the sake of our nation. We need to remember that sacrifice. But we also need to remember the losses and the bad decisions and the casualties because it's a reminder of what can happen. You know, one of the reasons I choose to, Andrea and I choose to keep the remembrance of 9-11 in front of our children is because that kind of thing can happen again. We're just like, oh man, everybody just loves each other. No, everybody doesn't just love each other. I want people to remember the sacrifice. I want my children to be motivated by the stories of people who run into a building to save lives. I want my children to understand that there are enemies that have to be taken seriously. I want the reminder. I want the memorials to serve as a reminder that we need to take certain issues very seriously. But there's no issue more serious than a relationship with God and how your faith in him should affect the way you live your life. And Jericho, with those walls broken down and that city gate destroyed, it was supposed to serve as as a reminder that if we don't take God seriously, judgment can, be, judgment can come into our lives. Well, fast forward some 530 years. And that's a long time. Go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 26, but don't read anything yet. Just listen to this. 530 years approximately between Joshua and this statement and when this actually occurred, notice these things that have happened. The entire book of Judges and all of those fluctuations, all of the leadership changes, men like Gideon, men like Samson, women like, um, oh man, jail, jail in the nail, hallelujah, awesome woman, Deborah, some amazing personalities that were used by God. Then you get into the prophet Samuel and how amazing his ministry to the nation of Israel was. Then you have King Saul and how he started well, but he finished really poorly. Then you have King David and how God gave him victory over his enemies and King Solomon and the incredible peace and prosperity that was under his reign. Then you have Rehoboam and how that he became entitled and he became arrogant as a young king and the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And so at this point in 1 Kings 26, the nation has been divided for many, many, many years and now in chapter 16, we're, we're under the reign, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom is under the reign of Ahab who quite possibly, according to the biblical record, may have been the worst of all the kings. And in in the text even says, he and his wife Jezebel, 
They caused Israel to sin in a way no other king did, or at least it has that implication. So notice what happens in their day. Verse 34. In his days, referring to Ahab, did Hael, the Bethelite, build Jericho. Now notice this. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now please go back to Joshua, chapter, 20, chapter 6, verse 26. Cursed be the man before the Lord that raiseth up and buildeth this city, Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates thereof. Look, this, this honestly, this passage and then in 1 Kings, this is a really challenging segment to deal with because sometimes things are implied and then other times they're clearly stated. This is one where I think, just based on my study, study the implication is really strong, but it's not directly stated. But it's really important to understand, number one, Joshua declared by the authority of God the person that raises up Jericho is going to be under divine judgment. So number one, it's not a good thing that we're talking about. Now, Joshua uses this language. He'll, he'll raise up the wall in his firstborn, and he'll raise up the gate in his secondborn. And then you, you go to 1 Kings 26, and it, says the, it uses the same language, Hael raised up the wall in his firstborn, and he raised up the gate in his youngest child. Every, everyone that I've read that says anything about this text, a lot of times, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about stuff, but on this, there is universal agreement in people who research and study the scripture, from what I can see. I'm not, I, obviously, I haven't read after everyone. But the sources that I have access to and that I've tried to study after, this is what they say. That Hiel's rebellion against God resulted in the death of his oldest son and then his youngest son. Now, there's obviously going to be speculation about how that happened. In fact, there are some historians who say that it was a common pagan practice and Ahab and Jezebel were full of idolatry to false gods. When you were building a city, it was, a, it was not an uncommon practice to bury a live child under the foundation of a wall as some kind of sacrifice to a god that does not exist. And so... Is it possible that it was that way? It's possible is that way. When you look at the, the cultural circumstances of Ahab and Jezebel, it was much like it was in the days of Jericho. There was human sacrifice. There was debauchery. All sorts of things that God would say, this is not how my people should behave. But either way, whether it was some kind of, whether it was some kind of outside event that took their life or whether it was just through Hiel's own corrupt way of thinking, his, his building of the city of Jericho was an act of defiance towards God. And where God had said, hey, this, the, this city as it is, not that, not that you can never use the land for something, but to rebuild Jericho 
in order to give honor to what Jericho was, to rebuild these walls, in order to give honor to what they were, to try to restore it to its former glory. That is to defy me. It's to defy what I think about that behavior. It's to defy the command that this place is to be consecrated to me for the purpose of reminding people that I must be taken seriously and that sin against me is no laughing matter. It is a reminder. And, and so for anyone to violate that is going to result in significant negative consequences in their life. And so Hiel just says, like he was influenced with Ahab and Jezebel, that was kind of the cultural direction. Who cares what God thinks? That was the attitude. In culture, who cares what God thinks? I'm going to rebuild this city. And in one way or another, it negatively affected his family. Look, you say, well, you, the text doesn't say they for sure died. But here's what the text does say, that there was a curse from God on them. So whatever that looked like, it was not a good thing. You say, do you want a curse or a blessing on you from God? I'd prefer the blessing. You say, well, look, I can, I can hear Hiel thinking, because I think like this. Man, that was 530 years ago. It was 530 years ago. God doesn't have a statute of limitations on his commands. And whether you violate it immediately after he gave it, which happens in chapter 7 of Joshua, which we'll deal with in the coming weeks, or you violate it centuries later, there are still going to be consequences. When you, when you, when people in pride defy the God who is, there will always be consequences. Here's the statement. The warnings of God and the consequences of defying them do not expire. They may, de they may be delayed, but they are certain. Let me give you some examples, and then I'll just make a few points and we'll be done. Number one, this, this, is, this statement is obviously coming from a negative perspective. And please get this. There are a lot of positive affirmations in the Bible, but there's also some heavy warnings as well. And when we come to one like we did, I would be doing an injustice to Scripture to try to turn this around and say, this is just positive and we should all feel good. It's not really positive. It's a warning. Take it seriously. Okay, look, I love this about salvation. Whosoever will may come. Okay, you just said you weren't trying to make everybody feel good. No, I'm just saying we got to be true to the text. Can I just pause for a moment and say, I'm really glad Jesus loves everybody. Jesus wants to save people. Whether it's the thief on the cross or a woman who up to that point in her life had lived in a... a very unpleasant way, Rahab, whatever it is, Jesus came to save sinners. I love what Paul, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel, said. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus died for people. Jesus loves people. And Jesus wants people to be saved. Salvation doesn't depend on you looking like me or being where I'm from or going to church or going to church like I go to church. It depends on you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I like it. 
people are like, you know, that's just, the Bible's kind of archaic. You can have that view. But as a child of God, I believe the Bible is timeless. In statements that where Jesus said this, it's recorded in the word of God, Jesus said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's just as relevant today as it was when he said it. Okay, so what's the consequence? You reject him, you have his judgment. You reject Jesus Christ, you have his judgment. I didn't say, no, 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 no. I didn't say you have to think every way I think or go through every religious motion that I go through because a relationship with God is not rules. Oh, go ahead. A relationship with God is not rules. A relationship with God is based on his love for you and his hate of sin and his sacrifice to redeem you to himself and your faith and willingness to believe in him. But you reject him, there's a negative consequence to it. Marriage is what God said marriage is. Loving your neighbor is what God says loving your neighbor is. Forgiveness is what God said forgiveness is. Having a right attitude is what having a right attitude, what God says it is. Hey, look, Ephesians 6.1, guys, look at me, front row, look at me, look at me. You people over here, most of you are prettier than the people right here specifically. Actually, you all are, sorry. My bad. <laughs> Everybody on the front row is prettier than everybody right here. My bad. I'll hug you guys later. Get over it. Look, Ephesians 6.1 was written like 1,800, 2,000 years ago. Still just as relevant today as it was back then. You want the blessing of God on your life. You cannot have that without submission to the authority that God has put in your life. The warnings of God and the consequences of defying them do not expire. Okay, so how should we think about that? Number one, don't be lulled into a state of spiritual carelessness or hardness because of the climate in which you live. Think with me. In Joshua, just about, with the exception of Achan, who we'll get to, just about everybody was on board. I mean, they'd wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because of rebellion, and then they crossed the Jordan River, and God gave them victory. Then they just took a really long walk around these walls, an organized walk, and God brought the walls down and gave them victory. They're all on board. Hey, it's the in thing to do. What do you mean? To serve God, to love him, to believe in him. You're just having victory, and it's wonderful. Man, when everybody's, when everybody's excited about God, it's easy to get excited about God. You fast forward 530 years to when Hiel was alive. And they no longer have a leader who is serious about God. They have a king and a queen who are actively trying to turn people away from God, even to the point of killing those who worship God. You say, what are you talking about? Naboth. All that dude did was say, Ahab, I can't trade my vineyard because this is part of God's covenant with my family. And Jezebel connived this scheme to where they would falsely accuse him and he was executed for something he did not do. He was killed for made up charges. It's in the book. You know what's not going on then? 
a whole lot of cultural acceptance to following God. And it, it wasn't everybody, but it was a lot of people that were just kind of going with the flow of Ahab and Jezebel. And so this is what Hiel's thinking, you know, just kind of what everybody's doing. If it didn't, if it mattered so much, then why aren't more people serious about God? Here's what can happen, here's what can happen to us. You allow the spiritual callousness or indifference of the culture in which you live to affect the way you view God. Okay, what are you talking about? Look, it's not like your employers care about church. How many of you would say, I'm thankful for my job? Raise your hand. If you have a job, you all ought to have, raise your hands. Thank you. It's a blessing. I'm not knocking your employer. But your employer did not hire you because he wants to serve God. Okay, in most cases. We have a couple of employers in here. (laughs) Their motive would be different. You say, my employer is not going to prioritize spiritual things in my life. Right. Your employer is going to prioritize the things for the most part. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. For the most part, are you with me? Not going to prioritize the things that matter most to God. So you know what you have to do? You have to keep that indifference from affecting the way you view your church. You're not going to turn on the news and they say, hey, today, did you try to show the love of Jesus Christ in the way you treated your neighbor? I mean, look, you don't have to believe the way that I do. That's only a good statement. Well, you're not convinced, are you? Look, I'd be down if the nightly news that I never watch, thank you, if the nightly news were like, hey, we just want to put out a bulletin, why don't we love our neighbors as ourselves? Instead of focusing on everything that divides, how about we just put out a bulletin that says, hey, today we need to spend the next, we need to spend the next news cycle just trying to do good for somebody else. Man, y'all are kind of bored with this, aren't you? You know why? Because that's just not what we're accustomed to hearing. Oh man, the Democrats this, and oh man, the Republicans this, and oh, this issue, and oh, that issue, and this mandate, and that mandate, and I just got to be mad at everybody. Well, no, that's how you can start thinking. I'm not saying there aren't things to stand for and stand against. I'm saying that we can allow ourselves to be lulled into spiritual comas where we think we just have a right to be mad at everybody because they don't agree with us. And you're commanded to love people not based on their position on certain issues, but because Jesus loves you. You know, wake up. Well, you know, I, listen, I'm, I'm trying to get this done, but just stay with me. Please stay with me. I heard this statement made one time by a married woman. I heard it with my own ears. Not anybody here, not anybody you would know. So don't worry about it. On live stream, don't worry about it. I heard this statement made. Well, I know my husband looks at porn, and that's just what husbands do. If you're basing that on what the culture does, then yeah. 
But we are told that as men of God, and being a man of God isn't about being a pastor, it's about being a man who has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is not the standard by which we are supposed to live. So you can say, that's just what men do. That's not what all men do. But you can allow yourself to get lulled into a spiritual indifference to where you get this attitude. Well, look, everybody I hang out with is doing it. Everybody at work is doing it. Everybody just kind of, they're always making these inappropriate jokes. And they're always talking about everybody's wife and everybody's girlfriend in some kind of inappropriate way. Look, I'm, I'm not on a soapbox right now. This is accurate application. Just because men look at women like they are window shopping doesn't mean a man of God should be. That's my sister in Christ. That's a creation of God. He didn't create that woman for my viewing pleasure. He created her for me to love and respect and value like he does. Now, y'all don't need to be quiet about this. This is truth. But the culture can lull us to sleep. Who cares? I'll just do what I want to do. Say, amen, man, talk about the guys. Good, I'm going to talk about the ladies. Well, just everybody gossips. And everybody complains about their husband. And everybody criticizes something. And I'm just going to get on the Facebooks, and I'm going to get on the gram, and I'm going to tweet my tweets. (laughs) And whatever else there is to communicate what you don't like in this world Stay focused, pile. I don't, I don't care how much your neighbor or your buddies or your friends are griping about everything in their life. You're to be respectful. No, ladies, if you have a problem with someone, that's okay. But you're commanded to go and handle that problem with that individual and not with everybody else. And the culture can lull us to sleep. Young people... I understand, a whole lot of, I understand a whole lot of kids disobey their parents and rebel against their parents. And I understand there's just this, there's just this expectation. We're going to sow our wild oats. Can God forgive? Yes. Can he restore? Yes. Do we preach and teach and work for all kinds of reconciliation? Yes. But you better understand this. There are consequences to rebellion. No, I'm not saying there's no recovery from it. I didn't say that because I've rebelled and there's been recovery from it. But I am telling you there's consequences for rebellion. And you get lulled to sleep. Well, this is what everybody does. And I listen to my music and it tells me to rebel. And I watch these movies and it tells me to rebel. And I watch these TV shows where it makes the man look like an idiot and it makes the mom look like she doesn't care. And that's what everybody's doing. It's not what everybody's doing. And you can't be lulled to sleep. Just because some people decided to build on Jericho doesn't mean you need to be. Number two. Don't be deceived because of how much time goes by without God's intervention. Please get this. Okay, I'm raising both hands. I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I know you are, Pablo. Thank you. (laughs) Can you raise your, can you stand up for a second? Just stand up for a second. I love Brother Pablo. He's my bro. Raise your hands. We are sinners. We agree? We didn't know each other until two years ago, but we know each other's our sinner. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. Just stay there. No, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. You know what he'll say? 
God has been patient with me. Has God been patient with you? Yeah. Ask me if God has been patient with me. Yes, he has. Thank you. I heard it in your heart. God has been patient with me as a husband because I'm not always a perfect husband. God, or I'm never a perfect husband. I'm not always the right kind of husband. God has been patient with me as a father because I'm not always the right kind of father. God has been patient with me as a pastor. God has been patient with me as a friend. God has been patient with me in whatever role it is that I have. God has been patient with me. But that doesn't mean just because he's been patient doesn't mean he justifies. And it does not mean that there will never be a consequence. Hey, let me give you a real quick consequence. You can sit down, Brother Pablo. Thank you. This happened years ago, decades ago. I remember apologizing to Andrea for something that I had repeatedly done. And this was her statement. I struggle to take your apology seriously if I know you're just going to do it again. You know what the consequence was? My wife's trust in me. Is that true, babe? Yep. You say, why would she say that? Because she loves me. I don't, I'm not upset with her about that at all. You know what the consequence of that was? My wife doesn't trust me. You say, what was it? it <laughs> just relax. <laughs> it wasn't so much what I was doing. It's that I was repeatedly doing it. Don't be deceived because of how much time goes by without intervention. Young people... I get it that there can be people living their lives however they want to, and it's like, man, nothing bad's ever happening to them. Number one, you don't know every detail. And number two, delayed consequences don't mean there will be no consequences. It just means that we have a merciful God who gives people an opportunity to change. Number three, defying God always has consequences that affect our children. Look, I'll wrap this up quick. Thank you for being patient. But can I please have the dads look at me? Please make eye contact with me, dads. Please look at me. Your, your acts of defiance against God, and we've all been guilty of something, but if there is a consistent act of defiance in your life, it does not stop with you. It goes on to affect your children. Now, I'm not saying they have to give in to it. I'm not saying that they have to follow in those footsteps, but you have influence. And if you defy God in your life, it will affect your children's lives. Mamas, please look at me. Mamas, please look at me. Your acts of defiance, if not dealt with, will negatively affect the lives of your children. Be it your attitude, be it your conduct, church family. I, I believe in what we got going on here. Not because of me, because of him. And look, I, look, we don't parade people up here, and we're not, we're not ever going to do that. We're not going to embarrass people. This isn't some kind of show about us. This is what you need to know. God is using this place to help a whole lot of people. And some of you would give testimony to that right now. I have been helped by being here. You would give that kind of testimony. Can I, can I please encourage you with this? If we ever forget who we serve, this place will cease to be helpful. If we ever get more concerned about the number of people we have here than actually just loving the people that we have here, 
this place will cease to be what it needs to be. If we ever get more concerned about the amount of money that we have than we are how we're using the money that we have, this place will cease to be helpful. And if we ever get more concerned about what the culture thinks of our message than just preaching the truth of this message in love to people who need to know the love of God, we will cease to be helpful. What we have is not guaranteed generationally. God's warnings and their consequences have no expiration date. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks for staying engaged. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you, for most of you, you know what this is. We don't, we don't embarrass anyone. It's just an opportunity to respond to God. If you feel like God has spoken to you, then you have an opportunity to respond to him. And so I want to I ask you to just, just be honest with this. And be honest in your response to the Lord. The first, you may have been here a thousand times. You may be very new. I never take this question for granted. I've asked this question many times. I wonder if there is someone... You say, I, I don't know, I don't even know what I think about this whole idea of God. But if he is and if he loves me, then I would like to get that settled. I would like to know that I have a relationship with him. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you in any way. So you say, you know, I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know that I'm right with God. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there would be anyone that just slipped their hand up and put it right back down. I'm not going to call on you. Just say, yeah, I see it. You can put it down. That's all I'll do. Now, now let me ask this question. You say, I don't know, or excuse me, I do know. There are some areas that came to my mind that I am, I am kind of becoming spiritually indifferent in some ways. I am not as focused and attentive as I need to be. Maybe it's something that would be minor. Maybe it's something that would be major or very significant. But you say, there's some areas where I've just, I've kind of developed some spiritual indifference and sensitivity. And with the passing of time and just with the cultural environment as it is and all these different things, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of lulled to sleep and I'm careless, spiritually careless in some areas. I know I'm saved. I just know I'm not a, as attentive as I need to be. And, but I want God to help me with that. Would you pr pray for me? You raise your hand. Yep, I see him going all over the place. God bless you for your honesty. Yep, God bless you. Well, let's do this. Let's stand together as Brother Nate begins to sing. If God has spoken to your heart, you have opportunity to respond to him.